Hello, everybody. I am Pastor Richard Wesley Johnson. And I am Dr. Corey Little Edwards. And this is the Elusive Dream Podcast. We are so excited that you are listening in to the Elusive Dream Podcast. And we're at episode four. But before we get there, a brief recap from episode three, which was about white supremacy and the stories that we tell. You see, white supremacy is a social system that we are all impacted by and reinforce by the stories, the ideas, and the behaviors that one group is superior to another. Yes, and what's really important about that, Pastor Rich, is what you've already mentioned is that it's a system and that we are all implicated in that system because really we have been socialized to believe that white people are superior to all other people since we are children. And this is not just something that white people can reinforce. People of color can reinforce that idea as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is a spiritual practice of undoing ourselves from systems of supremacy thinking. And Reverend Ines in episode three broke it down when she said the original supremacy was male over female. (laughs) She connected racism and sexism together, which is counterintuitive to the image of God, the theology that says we are made in God's image. Absolutely. Any system of supremacy disrupts the Imago Dei Mm. in all of us. And so our job, so to speak, is to reinforce that in ourselves, to believe what God says about us, but to also do that for other human beings, to reinforce that in them as well. Amen. So now we are here at episode four, and we're talking about the value and the voice of the black church. Dr. Mm. Corey, What do you recall from your black church experience? Well, I grew up in the black church and um, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for that rootedness in the Mm. black church experience for me. It's it's critical for who I am today, not only as a black woman, but as a black woman who's a daughter of the most high God. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up. Really, kind of in two churches. When I was little, I went to my mother's church, a church she grew up in. And what I learned from that um, is, you know, the church is, the black church isn't monolithic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that church was a more liturgical Baptist church. Mm. But most of my growing up, I was in another Baptist church, which I would call Bapticostal. All right. (laughs) So, you know, we, we had longer services. We had great music, a great choir. I was actually a part of the youth choir. I don't know if you were growing up. Yes. Oh, yeah. The youth choir was just. Every Saturday practice. Come on now. It was great. (laughs) It was really good. It was really good. And that's one of the things I really appreciated about growing up in the black church is that as a younger person, I was really incorporated into the culture of the black church. It wasn't separated like youth did things differently or children mm-hmm. did things differently yep, or separately, but they were a part of the culture. And so that was really important and valuable. Mm. But, um, yeah, I just really am grateful for that. Uh, growing up in that place, being connected, feeling like I was cared for, not just by my family, but other people in the church as well. Yes. Yes. My upbringing Uh, was connected to Bethlehem Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Mm. And what I recall was how deeply Christological the church was, particularly the preaching. Um, Father K is what we called him. Ended every sermon with Jesus Christ on the cross, him buried and him resurrected. He wanted us to have a 
high view of Jesus's life and mm. his work on the cross. Mm. And then I remember the mothers of the church, right? They were the spiritual guides along with my own mother. I was mothered by many mothers. In fact, when I, if I go back to Bethlehem today, I still call some people mama yeah. um, because of the way they raised me in this church and taught me how to behave and how to yeah. uh, value the, the worship center that we were in and have reverence for this place. Um, wow. One more I have to say is leadership development. Now, mm. it wasn't really called leadership development, yeah. but Father K had discipled so many men and women, in fact, to uh, become deacons and ministers who went on to become ordained mm. and became pastors, something like 18 ministers wow. he wow. developed, one of whom was my father. Mm. And, uh, and I received some of that leadership development as well, mm. opportunities to serve as the worship leader, yeah, opening yeah. the church, you know, for worship to yeah. God. Man, just, it was beautiful. It, is. it was really beautiful. You know, and you know, you when you say that, you make me think about the opportunities for leadership that that I had as well. And mm. also teaching us how to be a part of and speak truth about the gospel, mm-hmm. whether that be giving speeches, whether that be leading yes. uh, portions of portions of the service. Yes. I mean, those are really critical. And another thing that really is important was the altar call. Mm. The altar call mm-hmm. that every service there was an altar call, every a time service. for you to respond right. and to actually make that a declaration, a Ooh. public declaration by getting up out of your seat, walking up to the front, yes. receiving prayer, yes. asking, talking about salvation, whatever you needed. Yes. The altar call yes. was critical. Did your church, um, when someone came to faith or they came down uh, to the altar to receive Christ, did the whole church celebrate? Oh yes, I, that's what I remember from my church. Absolutely. It wasn't it wasn't just that one person making that statement. It was something of the whole church saying praise God. Yes. Like, I mean, it, if Jesus said that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over the one, yeah. we were like, we're going to join in with the angels Absolutely. and celebrate. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. I remember at 12 years old, me and a, a good friend of mine in the church, she was also 12. We made a decision together. I don't even think our parents knew to to get up at the end of church for mm. the altar call, walk down mm. together and mm. say we wanted to be baptized. Wow. And it just was that kind of context that facilitated that. But also that as individuals, even as children, we we make decisions and declarations mm. about our faith. Mm-hmm. Come on now. Yes. I was seven years old when I walked down that aisle and I would have walked down at six, but my mama said, no, you need to wait a little bit. Uh, <laughs> You're like, mama, we, I was cold. I was mama. Like, mama, I'm cold. I'm ready. I know. I'm ready. I have, uh, I have to share this story real quick before we get into the rest of this episode. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I was really wavering in my faith. Mm. And my father sent me two pictures. One was his baptism and the other was my baptism. And just to remind me who I am. Amen. This is who you are. Mm. I know you're, you've got questions. I know you got doubts, but this is something you were brought into. You were mm-hmm. brought into this Christian uh, family and we're connected together. So Amen. it's Amen. so beautiful. So we're talking about the, the, the value and the voice of the black church, but we have to ask this question. First of all, why do we even have a black church? Yes. Pastor Rich, I am absolutely delighted that we have Reverend Dr. David Emmanuel Goatley with us on the mm. show today. 
Uh, Dr. Goatley is a research professor of theology and black church studies at Duke Divinity School. He also is the director of Office of Black Church Studies at the Duke Divinity School. Uh, he is an ordained minister with the National Baptist Conventions USA, and he led Lot Carey Baptist Foreign Mission Society for many, many years. Uh, so Dr. Goatley is going to be sharing with us uh, what the black church is, what is so central to the black church as it relates to the experience in America. And he's going to start off talking to us about why there is even a black church in the first place. So let's take some time to listen to Dr. Goatley. I encourage our listeners to begin to take out some notes and a pen and a pencil because this is going to be a time for some school today, y'all. I think there is a black church is one of the clearest evidence of the racism uh, that is at the root of the church in the United States and mm -hmm. continues to bear fruit because if there was not racism, there would have been no reason for a black church. Mm -hmm. uh, the black church uh, was either created by white churches so that black people would not be a part of the white churches so they had their own church or uh, they were born out of protest because they refuse uh, to be denied uh, recognition uh, as children of the living God and disciples of Jesus who is Christ. And so the fact that the black church exists is, you know, is ev evidence of racism in the life of the white church and the white experience in the United States. Um, and the fact that we, you know, continue to uh, need to be viable uh, to uh, be places of what uh, the, the uh, Afro-Canadian ethicist Peter Paris once called the cultural womb mm -hmm. uh, of, of the community, that the church was the cultural womb which gave protection and nurture and and, and, and birth the kind of uh, capacity to go out into a world that was trying to deny you. So the fact that the black church is evidence of racism, as Reverend Dr. Gopi says, mm -hmm. and it's something we've talked about in previous episodes as well, Dr. Corey. Absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, the black church grew out of racism. The church of Jesus Christ was not ever intended to be segregated. No, it was not. In fact, you know, at the beginning, really, and we're going back a couple hundred years, blacks and whites used to worship together, at least attempted to. Uh, we know about this also during the first awakening and the second awakenings that occurred mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. the United States. So the, there were times in which there was integration, but because of exclusion, because of white supremacy, Ultimately, black people were excluded from those contexts. And then, in fact, the black church emerged out of that. I mean, I think about, well, Mother Bethel AME in Philadelphia. I went, I had an opportunity to go there a couple years ago. It was awesome. Uh, and I recommend to our listeners, if they can, to stop by. They have a wonderful museum actually there that really outlines and reviews the history of Mother Bethel AME and why it even began. And why and, did it begin? What was so significant about Mother Bethel? Yeah, right. Well, Mother Bethel is the first AME church. And AME, the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, is the first black controlled denomination in 
the country, which started out of exclusion. Mm. Richard Allen, mm-hmm. which I learned on this tour, which was great. One of the things I learned is he he was a great leader, a wonderful speaker, a well a respected preacher, an right. excellent preacher. And right. people would come to the church, which was at that time, it was a Methodist church, um, to hear him. Mm. And so here he is packing the church, people coming to hear him. White and, and black. White and black. Right. That's right. And ultimately, white people began to say, well, you know, we don't like what this is doing. We don't like this connection these, and this integration. Mm. And so, you know what I learned? They actually had black people building in the church balconies and they didn't tell the black people this. This is what I learned from the tour. Mm -hmm. They had them build the balconies. And then after the balconies were built, they were like, Oh, and y'all supposed to sit up there. And you know what, when my father would do revivals and go preach somewhere, the way he would convince me to go to the church is to tell me that they got a balcony. Wow. Yeah. Cause I love the balconies in, but I had no idea that they were built for exclusion. That's right. It was built for exclusion. And so Richard Allen and his friend Absalom Jones were praying mm-hmm. and they went to the front of the church and was, and they were kneeling in the front of the church mm. praying and white people in the church were like, no, you're not supposed to be here. Mm. Wouldn't we say you supposed to be up in that balcony? Mm. And, you know, they actually physically aim to remove them from the church. You talk about what disrespect that is because they wanted that church to be segregated because they didn't feel black people and white people should serve and worship together. And they physically removed them from the church. And Richard Allen and Absalom Jones from that moment said, we are not going back. We are not going to allow you to disrespect the Imago Dei that Mm. that is us. Mm. And I say, well, Mm. you know, you go. What an example. And so in 17, this is the 1790s, Pastor Rich, 1790s, they are doing this. And it's there that he had it in him, his leadership skills, his entrepreneurial skills, Mm -hmm. his, his, his um, creativity and his ambition and his knowing of who he was in God Mm -hmm. to begin a church that would reinforce in black people that God loved them, that God sees them, that God empowers them. And from that, we have the AME church. Wow. And that's not the only example, is it, Pastor Rich? No, that's not the only example. In the early 1900s, we have the example of the Azusa Street Revival, mm. led by William J. Seymour, an African-American man mm-hmm. who relocated from Houston, Texas to Los Angeles, California, and just started preaching in a little storefront church. And what was happening at that moment were the existing racial barriers that were prevalent then were breaking down by the Spirit of God mm. through the preaching and the prayer and and quite Physically, the laying of hands mm. on people so the spirit of God would manifest itself in all kinds of spiritual giftings and um, uh, reflecting of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. Mm-hmm. It saw the most beautiful picture of the beloved community. Yeah. Until. 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 Until what happened, Pastor until Rich? Until some white supremacists mm. came in. And took over the movement. That's right. They literally took over the movement of William J. Seymour, and they created these spaces of segregation. But this um, Azusa Street Revival 
um, it led to the the development of the Church of God in Christ through mm-hmm. uh, Bishop C. H. Mason mm-hmm. um, and so many others, where we see God was at work That's in right. African American leaders, yes, breaking down racial barriers. That's right. But then those barriers were rebuilt by uh, white leaders. That's right, because white supremacy was important to maintain. Mm-hmm. Right? When that white supremacy was being threatened as black leaders were being raised up and being raised up by God and really preaching the yeah. gospel. Yeah. Then you have people coming in and saying no. Mm. Uh not that's not going to work. We need to maintain white supremacy. And the it wasn't said explicitly, but the behaviors were clear. Right. The behaviors were clear. Right. And so today we have the African Methodist uh, Episcopal Church, which is one That's of the right. largest African-American uh, denominations, right alongside the Church of God in Christ as That's well, right. another That's right. large black-led uh, denomination. These yes. institutions of the church exist and are flourishing. That's right. They are flourishing Absolutely. on Absolutely. their own, apart from a white-centered identity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, I would argue not only are critical for black people, but are critical for the church generally. Yes. Well, we're talking about the value and the voice of the black church. And another important thing for us to hear from Reverend Dr. Goatley is the structure of the black church and what the black church means. Yes, that's that. That's right. So our next segment here from Reverend Goatley, he's going to talk about the black church as a family. That's right. Listen carefully to what Reverend Goatley has to say and why it's so critical for us to embrace this. The black church is family for so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's needed because of the, the tensions that have historically pulled families apart, pulled black families apart in the United States that goes back to the origin of slavery. Mm -hmm. Children would be taken and sold away from parents or where a husband and wife would be sold to different um, uh, slaveholders. And and there's been, you know, any number of uh, manifestations of that kind of ripping at the fabric of a family across the years in sometimes explicit and sometimes implicit ways. So one of the things I really appreciate about historically black churches is that they're family. You find uncles and aunts and surrogate mothers and surrogate fathers and surrogate grandparents and and, uh, people invest in the lives of the next generation. And so when something happens beautifully to one, it happens to all because we're family. And and likewise, when something happens tragically to one, it happens to another. Oh man, I love that Dr. Goatley talked about family and how we understand family. Yes. And the importance of family in the black church. And in fact, our understanding of the family in the black church is not like other contexts. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I think about that for being black generally, right? When I grew up, you know, we have our family re- reunions and yeah. we still have family reunions, yes. big family yes. reunions, right? Yes. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, you get together not only with your first cousins, you got your second cousins, 
You we don't even call cousins. them first and second. Yeah, and third. right. They're just cousins. Yeah, your cousins. That's your cousin. It could be five. <laughs> five removed. Five but removed. We, you know, <laughs> but they're your cousins. They're still or, your you cousins. know, I think about people who are technically my mom's first cousins, but I would call them aunt or uncle. That's right. Right. And so, you know, family isn't just about your nuclear family, mm-hmm. it's your extended family. We're mm-hmm. all family. Mm-hmm. And what I, and I appreciate that Dr. Goatley is bringing that out. And that also, as I mentioned, is in the black church as well. People that aren't even technically your family, as we may generally think about it, but they're family because we are part of the body of Christ. Yeah, church is an extended family, just like those mothers of the church I talked about earlier. Yes, absolutely. this gets into the ecclesiology of what we call in the church. What'd you say? Which is the nature and the structure (laughs) of the church, the ecclesiology. All right. That the church is the ecclesia. It is the gap. Gathering place for the people of God. And in the New Testament, Paul describes the ecclesia as a body of connected members one to another. And the black church really reflects that connectedness one to another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is a beautiful gift of the black church. Yes. And normal to African influence and culture. Absolutely. That relationships are not limited to your household. Absolutely. Blood is not limited to your family tree. That's right. You are all connected one to another. And that has really important implications because when you say somebody's a part of your family, Mm -hmm. you're saying we're in this together. That's right. What you're saying is, I got your back Mm -hmm. and you got my back, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What you're saying is when you're down, I'll be down. Yes. If you need help, I'm going to help you. Yes. When I need help, you're going to help me. Yes. When you're happy about something, I'm going to be happy about something. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, if you're going to celebrate something, I'm going to celebrate. When you achieve, I'm I'm achieving. Yes. Right? Because we are family. We Mm -hmm. are interconnected. We are there for one another. And I love that. But this is the deal. This comes straight out of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus said this explicitly in Matthew 12, 48 through 50, when he was told that his mother and siblings were outside. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? That's right. Right. And he was point pointed to everybody around them. And he said, you are my mother and my brothers and my siblings and Mm. so on. Mm -hmm. Right. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, that's my family. Preach. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to have an understanding that is tied to God's understanding of family. Yes. You know, it's not just about people in your household or people in the nuclear family, mm-hmm. that God has broadened that out mm-hmm. uh, to the body of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. That that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. thing. Yeah. And that is something that the black church has practiced and maintained. The idea that the church is family. I think, too, what that brings to mind is uh, the hospitality that you mm-hmm. find in the black church, the welcoming that you find in a black church mm-hmm. where uh, you, you, generally you just fit right in. Yeah. Come on in, child. Come, <laughs> come, come on in here. You know yeah. what you need. You, let yeah. me find you a seat. Let me find yeah. you. Some, and you are part of the family. You don't have to earn your way in. Yeah. You ought to, you belong yeah. because who you are has value. That's right. Who you are has worth. That's right. Who you are is made in the image of God. And we're going to yeah. bring all our image of God in this together That's right. in this place. And we're going to celebrate what God is doing. Amen. There's a Amen. beautiful welcoming hospitality that is rich in our black church experience. It is. It is. And so I just so appreciate that. 
mm-hmm. about the black church yes. growing up in it and continuing to be connected to it. As you know, I just recently got back into the multiracial church world mm-hmm. and that is something that is so beautiful to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And this is not just born out of experience. This is born out of a theological understanding of who God is and what his church is to be. Absolutely. It's not just because we feel this. Yes. We have consciously thought about this. That's right. That's right. I have to say this because the black church has a rich and robust theology. That's what we're going to hear next. Reverend Dr. Goatley is going to tell us about the, the theology of the black church and what gifts it has to offer to the church broadly. That's right. We going in, y'all. Going in. What I appreciate most about the black church is Jesus is at the center of the black church. Mm. And uh, not, not a country, not a flag, not a political ideology, but Jesus is at the center of the black church. The black church is thoroughly Christological. Now mm-hmm. there, are, there are, you know, uh, pneumatological emphases, emphases around the Holy Spirit that are present and that are there. But the, the black church, Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world is at the center of normatively of the black church experience, which is why we, we you know, it means something when the early church said that Jesus is Lord, which Mm -hmm. Caesar wasn't. Mm -hmm. We put our lives on it. And for black people, Jesus is Lord, not a political ideology, not even a country. Jesus is Lord of all. And that's where our primary alliance is. That's when we're doing, that's when we're at our best. Uh, uh, We have a a kind of a, where it's kind of old school contemporary gospel song that said, Jesus is, you're the center of my joy. Yeah. And uh, that is, would be true normally for black church experience. Oh, Pastor Rich, mm-hmm. Dr. Goatley brought mm-hmm. me back. Yes, he did. Jesus is the center of my joy. Did you sing that growing oh, up? Oh, by Richard Smallwood? Come on Absolutely. now. Jesus oh. You're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment. Hope for all I do. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and the choir. And the, come on. Yes. yes. Oh, my gosh. The it, choir, the feeling of the choir amen. even felt like family. Absolutely. And reinforced. And, and so much theology is being spoken and taught and reinforced in the black Music, absolutely. The church that that spoke black music, the black music that reinforced the value of the church and the high vision of the church. It literally helped us engage with whatever suffering we were going to face outside yeah. of the church. Yes, the music is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's not entertainment. Mm, it's not. It's in, connecting us to one another. It's right. reminding us of who God is. Yes, 
at and a, who at we a, are. That's right. And it's bringing in the whole person, mm-hmm. not just the intellect, but our, also our soul, our emotion. Yes. Right. That that is what the black church experience is Amen. bringing in the whole person. So the message of liberation as the revelation of God is revealed in the incarnation that is the presence of God in bodily form Mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ. Freedom then is the gospel and Jesus is the liberator. But here's the best part. Our liberator is a crucified, rejected, beaten and bruised savior. Mm. Someone for whom the black church can uniquely identify with having been there and done that. Absolutely. And not only that, he was a crucified Savior. That's right. A crucified Savior. In fact, James Cone puts it this way. The paradox of a crucified Savior lies at the heart of the Christian story, Mm. at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. And to say he was crucified means he was killed by the state. That's right. Right. And then we sometimes overlook that. And James Cone also says this, that God could make a way out of no way in Jesus's cross was truly absurd to the intellect yet profoundly real in the souls of black folk. And the reason why is because of the suffering that black folk have experienced collectively, not really just in the United States, Mm -hmm. but throughout the diaspora, in fact. That's right. right? Now, suffering is a part of a Christian theology generally. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can think about this. It ought to be, right? And But often, and many times, it can be talked about as a personal suffering. I mean, one person I really like is David Benner and his book, The Gift of Being Yourself. And he says this, the truth is that God is to be found in all things, even and most especially in the painful, tragic, and unpleasant things. And I I really appreciate about that because we understand that the growth of, uh, for spiritual growth, particularly, that calculus is one of suffering in many ways. And I think God, we end up going through the valley. And as we go through the valley, we have an opportunity to lean on God and learn from God. But what's unique in particular about uh, the black church experience or even any group that experience suffering at a collective level is we, through that, understand God in a more intimate way through that collective suffering. Right. And so when you have the theologians like James Cone, Diana Hayes, Howard Thurman, these are theologies that are being born out of a collective understanding of suffering. Right. And through that, we come to understand God in a more fuller, in a deeper, in a more intimate way, because that's how God set it up. Yeah. When we're talking about um, Africans who were brought to the Americas as slaves, identifying with the story of the Exodus. Yes. The Exodus story is a way in which we have understand that God hears us and that God sends others to liberate us. Yes, yes. And that we are to be a people who are liberating others as well. Amen. We understand this uh, this view and vision of the gospel through the lens of the Exodus because we have that lived experience. That's right. That's and it right. is a value to the entire body of Christ. Mm. It is a value to our white brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus to see the gospel through this lens of liberation. Absolutely, absolutely. And Reverend Dr. Goatley is going to share a little bit of that with us in some our next more. segment. That's right. He's going to share some more about what the white church can learn from the black church. Is 
some of the uh, important things it would include uh, a black Christian anthropology holds that all people are created in the image of God. Period. That kind of anthropology will help our white siblings. One way it plays out is you do not um, cooperate with uh, and support behavior practices or policies that that make people vulnerable mm -hmm. and put people in danger. Mm -hmm. That you you ensure that resources are available so that people can at least be safe and in a position to flourish. You do not embrace a concept where it's about always about gathering mm -hmm. and, and consuming. But what you do is you, you're, you're committed uh, to a, a shared prosperity so that none go without. Another thing is that uh, there's an idea of neighborliness mm -hmm. that is embedded in Black Christian culture. If our white siblings will embrace that, it will help them to be anti-racist. If you go to the Old Testament, uh, 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 the Hebrew people are instructed uh, to make provisions for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, mm -hmm. the most vulnerable people that they are. Jesus talks about, you know, who, you know, when he's asked who is your neighbor, he tells a story about the Samaritan who mm -hmm. stops to care for uh, the person who was beaten and injured and left for dead. Mm -hmm. if, our, if our white Christian siblings embrace the concept of neighborliness, then that would prevent them from allowing people who have been beaten and injured and left for dead mm -hmm. to be to, to just walk by and to say, well, they shouldn't have been on the road that time of night, uh -oh. you know, to further victimize the victim, whoever they are. White churches, if they embrace that kind of idea of Black um, Christian theology of uh, anthropology and of neighborliness, mm -hmm. those are two things that would help them to be more just. Wow, what the white church can learn. How, how poignant in what uh, Reverend Dr. Goatley points out for the black Christian anthropolo anthropology that leads to um, and being made in the image of God that's and, right. and neighborliness that's embedded in the black church culture. Mm -hmm. And this brings the question to my mind, who gets to decide what is the gospel? Uh oh. Who gets to decide that? Who gets to and there's decide. so much debate right now, particularly in white evangelical Christian circles about the gospel tied to social justice and other things, you know, that are I'm not even going to mention on this podcast because, frankly, the black church isn't even having that conversation. Mm. <laughs> uh, but the argument is essentially about the content of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And the black church has a voice and a value on this subject in particular. That's that the right. gospel 
is connected to justice. It's mm-hmm. not it's not on the outskirts. It is central to our identity as being followers of Jesus Christ. Yes. So you cannot eliminate social justice from the black church even. Yeah. Absolutely. And the black church will continue to speak into that and we need them to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I really appreciate about Reverend Dr. Goatley's framing there when he talks about that neighborliness is he wasn't just talking about, you know, helping your literal neighbor, Mm. but he brought up issues of policy, for example, Mm -hmm. and what kinds of policies do you support? So this isn't just something that you do with people that you know face to face in your immediate world. It's about how you engage the world more broadly. How do you um, support what's going on in the world more broadly. Mm -hmm. And I think about all kinds of policies, because if it's going to be about making sure the people that are the least of these don't are not going without, right, that we're talking about supporting policies as it relates to health. We're talking about policies as it relates to education. Mm -hmm. We're talking about policies as it relates to uh, having a a living wage and having good housing, right? So this isn't just about, you know, what you can do to help the person right next to you. It's about how you do life, how you think about life, how you think about sharing, quite frankly, the prosperity that we have, right? To what extent are you willing to do that? And to what extent are you going to be engaging in practices that support that? And I mean, I even think about his point about the Good Samaritan. I couldn't help but think about uh, what's going on with Black Lives Matter as Mm -hmm. it relates to people who have been killed and there's been no justice as a result of that. Mm -hmm. When we think about Trayvon Martin Mm -hmm. in 2012, but then we also have many that have happened after that. And then we think about Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and how we respond to that, right? That we don't just ignore that or just walk by or ask questions about why were they, as he said, there in the first place. Those aren't the questions that are asked. We attend to dealing with these issues of sorrow in pain and suffering and inequality to make sure that justice is done, justice is um, addressed, and that people's needs uh, and are, are dealt with. Yes. Right? And that people can flourish, as yes. he mentioned. And this goes, I mean, it goes right back to family. Amen. I mean, when those situations happened, um, I tell people all the time, it is like it happened to a family member. Absolutely. I feel that. What happened to Trayvon? What happened to Breonna Taylor? Mm -hmm. I feel that. That's right. They are a part of our family, and they are not just some folks to be discarded. It's not some folks to just say, well, they shouldn't have been there in the first place, uh, because I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go there with my family members. I would feel first. Mm, That's right. And, and the That's feeling right. and the 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 empathy, the, the walking with, That's uh, right. the joining in Amen. is a part of what it is to be a brother and sister in Christ. Absolutely. We're absolutely. Because we are to mourn with yes. people, mourn mm. with. Mm-hmm. Right. That's coming in together. Mm. Uh, we are to celebrate. The joys, but we're also to mourn with. Right. And that's what we do when we're family. That's what we do when we're family. And that's what uh, the black church theology brings to the church more broadly. Absolutely. Yeah. What the church, the black church brings to the church more broadly is how to suffer well. Amen. And how to suffer with. Amen. Amen. And how to be victorious through and out of that. And how to suffer victoriously. Amen. Amen. Because we are familiar with the God that liberates, Mm -hmm. the God that makes a way out of no way, the God that says to keep on keeping on. And we keep on keeping on. 
Amen. I am so grateful. So grateful. I am so grateful. Of where we come from. Yes, and mm-hmm. for the black church. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. I am for the black church. Mm-hmm. I am so grateful for it. And we're saying this as two individuals, one, a sociologist mm-hmm. who studies multiracial churches. That's right. And a pastor who's leading a multiracial church. That's right. And both of us are in multiracial churches. That's right. And I mean, we your church, saying, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we are saying the black church still has value, has voice for the church abroad. I mean, broadly. Oh, abs- all of us. Oh, my gosh. It is fundamental. Mm hmm. Critical. Yes. To the growth of the church more broadly. I, I, I cannot overstate that. Actually. Because I get the question often, Dr. Corey, should the black church continue? I mean, Pastor, you lead a multiracial church. Is the goal for like everybody to be multiracial and, you know, every church to just reflect that that beautiful Revelation seven? What do you say? No, <laughs> I'm going to just say it plainly. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. As long as there is racism, we need the black church. As long as there is uh, injustice, we need the black church. And a racially diverse church, quite practically, is only a way to live out the beloved community. It is not the way. And it is certainly not the only way. That's right. That's right. I'm saying that that's for me. I am rooted in this multiracial church thing. Praise God uh-huh. and praise God for the black church and praise God for the black church, because there is so much that the black church brings. I am so grateful for people like Diana Hayes, who talks about the hope that mm. we get out of the black church experience and mm-hmm. African-American spirituality. I'm so grateful for the story of growth and and uh, strength that comes out of the black church experience and African-American spirituality. I mean, we have so much to learn from that and to grow out of that. It is absolutely critical, as I've already said, for not just black people, but the black church more broadly. And this is what I really appreciate about James Cone, uh, Pastor Rich, because, you know, even though he was talking about the black church and developing what is called a black theology, but I would rather just say it's Theology. theology. Come on now. Yes. Unfortunately, you know, in a context it gets where labeled. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and he and he he called it that himself. But in fact, you know, that's because of the context we're in. But he says this and I really appreciate it because it's time back to your question that people ask you about multiracial churches. And this is from the cross and the lynching tree. No gulf between blacks and whites is too great to overcome for our beauty is more enduring than our brutality. What God joined together No one can tear apart. However, this is what's important here, Mm. that we still have to deal with that lynching tree. Mm. Right. That is to say that white supremacy. Right. Because the lynching tree in America, he talks about, is a metaphor for white America's crucifixion of black people. That we cannot come to a place of unity unless we deal with the reality of what's in the United States, which is that history of white supremacy and continued reproduction of white supremacy. And he also says this, and I love that he, he, how he equates this, that the evil forces of the Roman state and of white supremacy in America willed it. What? That Jesus had to go to the cross and also that black people were dealing with that lynching. Mm. So we have to deal with that history. And if you talk about getting away, doing away with the black church, No, you can't do that. Mm. You can't do that, right? We have this experience of understanding the cross in a way that other traditions 
in American context, save maybe the First Nation, mm. uh, do not experience. Amen. So, listeners, add to your reading list The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. Add to your reading list Forged in the Fiery Furnace, African-American Spirituality by Diana L. Hayes. And go to your Spotify Go to your <laughs> Apple and don't worry about subscribing, okay? We know y'all already subscribing, but make yourself a gospel playlist. Come on now. And listen to some gospel music. Make sure you put Richard Smallwood on there, Center of My Joy. Uh-oh, that's huh? right. That's yes. right. You yes. got to get that in there. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Dr. Corey, how would you encourage our listeners um, today? You know what? I just want to encourage them to remember that God sees them and loves them, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that there is a richness, mm-hmm. right, that we have so much in the black church. Yes. And and I would encourage um, our listeners today to see the theology coming out of the black church as theology that is good for the whole church. Amen. 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 So thank you all for listening. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the Elusive Dream podcast. We are so grateful to all of our listeners. And you can follow me on Instagram at Rich Johnson Online and on Twitter at Richard Wesley. Dr. Corey, where can folks find you? You can find me on Facebook and you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, and I am Corey Little Edwards. That's spelled K O R I E. That's where you can find me, Corey Little Edwards. What do you want our listeners to remember finally from today's podcast, Dr. Corey? Well, the dream may be elusive, but it is attainable. Oh,